you believe the words you just sang? Do you believe that Jesus is more than enough? Or has something happened to you that has caused you to question that truth? Have you lost someone or, or something that has caused a, a struggle within you that has led you to question whether or not that is true? Do you believe that Jesus is more than enough? Or do the things you have make it difficult for you to believe? What if you, you lost those earthly things that you treasure most? Would that belief be in jeopardy? Do you believe that Jesus is more than enough? Or are you fighting to believe it because of what you don't have? Maybe you, you desire something else and believe that that certain something, that house, that, that car, that, that job would be the missing piece needed to give you peace and joy. If we're honest, we all wrestle with believing this truth that Jesus is more than enough. We all wrestle with Martin Luther's words in the hymn we, we sang this morning that says, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. Whether you are fighting a battle this morning to believe that Jesus is more than enough because of what you've lost or because of what you have or because of what you want or all three, the passage that we're studying this morning is for you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 this morning and we find ourselves at a very familiar popular event in the gospel narrative. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. This is one of the few miracles that are found in all four gospel accounts. And I want you to see that in Luke's account, he is showing here that Jesus is showing he is more than enough by, number one, compassionately proclaiming and illustrating his gospel message to a crowd in need, and by miraculously providing the multitude with all they need. Notice first, point number one, Jesus compassionately proclaims and illustrates his gospel message to a crowd in need. Look at verses 10 through 11 of Luke chapter 9. First verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Now remember last week in the previous passage, Jesus sent his disciples out all over Galilee to preach the gospel and exercise his power and authority over demons and disease, highlighting his great authority and the power of his gospel. And in verse 10, we're told that the disciples reported back to Jesus on the mighty work that God had accomplished through them. And Jesus, being their, their caring and compassionate leader, decides to give them rest from their labor. Folks, in addition to enjoying the gift of being set apart by God and used by Him 
for his ministry, God also gives us the gift of rest in our labor for him. Rest from that labor. Aren't you thankful for that? For rest from your labor? We're told at the end of verse 10, and Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. I don't know this for sure, but my guess is after traveling on little food and money, which we told they they did, living with only those who would take them in, they were probably tired, emotionally spent. I tell you, after a week's worth of ministry and and preaching two sermons on Sunday, I'm not doing what they were doing, but I'm, I'm exhausted at the end. I'm ready to eat and put my feet up for a little while. We know they were hungry, probably tired. We learn in the Gospels that Jesus certainly got tired and hungry from his labor, sleeping in boats during windstorms, picking grain through the field while traveling. We we learn in the other accounts on this event that Jesus and his disciples had also received word that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his partner in ministry, had been killed. So my guess is there was probably a desire from all of those in the group to take a break and rest and even mourn the passing of John the Baptist. But we learn here that the crowd in Bethsaida would not allow for that to happen. Look at verse 11. When the crowds learned it, learned of Jesus being with them, they followed him. You ever get home after a long day of work? get into your comfy chair, maybe you have to eat late and you get settled and there is a knock at the door or the phone rings, someone's in need, parents, there's babies crying, kids fighting, your spouse needing help. How do you respond in those moments? With compassion? With kindness? How did Jesus respond? Look at verse 11. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. The Lord compassionately ministered to them. They they came to him with great need and instead of turning them away, he took the time to minister to them as the disciples had done all over everywhere in the previous passage. And and notice, he gave them exactly what they needed. While the crowds often followed Jesus to be healed by him, to receive some sort of earthly provision from him, he led by giving them what they needed most, his gospel message. And while he did heal them, this healing was meant to illustrate for them the truth of this gospel message that he shared with them. He proclaimed to them that mankind has been ruined and wrecked by sin. He showed them their sinfulness and their need for salvation. He also shared with them that God had provided for them all they needed to be forgiven and made right with him by sending his son. He he shared with them that while mankind has been ruined and wrecked by sin, he, Jesus, has come to rescue mankind from the dominion of darkness, from the kingdom of self, and to restore mankind to the kingdom of God through his life, death, and resurrection. He has come as the king of kings to rule and reign in the hearts and lives of all of those who forsake their sin and trust in him alone for salvation. He has come 
to lay his life down so that man might give his life up and over to him and have life in and through him. He has come for the sake of sinful humanity so that sinful humanity might be transformed by giving their lives up and over to him and bowing before him as king. That's the message of the kingdom of God. That's what they needed most. And that's what Christ gave them first. While Christ also healed them, the the miraculous works he, he did, again, they just illustrated for them this kingdom reality. His miracles showed them that mankind is spiritually sick and in bondage to sin and is in desperate need of spiritual healing and deliverance from sin and death. His miraculous works showed that that God has demonstrated His love for mankind and that while mankind are, are sinners deserving of judgment, He sent His Son to come and heal the spiritually sick and free those in bondage to sin. That's what these miracles show. Christ demonstrated that He is more than enough for them by giving them this most important message. Believers, are you compassionately sharing and illustrating this message in your ministry to others? First, are you caring for those in need? Caring for the poor and the hungry and the sick? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know very many poor, hungry, and sick people. Well, we do. There are ministries in this community that we partner with and and support and serve alongside who are meeting those in need. We're called to go and help meet those needs. God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. And for those of you who think you don't have as much as others, you got more than most in this world. If you own a car, you're, you're one of the richest on the planet. You're in that upper percent. We're reminded from Scripture that that everything that we have has been given to us by God. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others for the glory of God. But listen, this is where many ministries get it wrong. We're not simply to go out and meet physical needs. There are greater spiritual needs. We are called to meet physical needs. Yes, we're called to do that, but not without prioritizing the spiritual like our Lord did. We're to follow Jesus' example. When approached by a needy people or when we approach them, we're to give to them what they need most, God's message of forgiveness and salvation. What good is physical health if one is dead spiritually? You're just prolonging judgment for eternity. What good is a warm embrace and cash for food and a place to sleep If one remains separated from and set against God and if they forfeit a heavenly kingdom. Believers, when people approach you in need of the physical, you better give them more. Give them more than that. Show them that Jesus is more than enough. Communicate this to your children and grandchildren, church, who are constantly in need. Remind them again and again as they come to you, can I have this? I'm hungry. I need this. Remind them, you're going to be back again and again and again because that can't satisfy. Only Christ can. you got opportunities over and over again to show them that only in Jesus can they be satisfied. 
Communicate this to your children and grandchildren. Share this with family and friends, with those in our community who think that happiness is having money in their pockets, food in their stomachs, and a roof over their heads. Scripture tells us clearly that won't satisfy anything. Maybe you came in here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, if I can just make this much money. Anybody ever thought that? If I could just have this job, if I could just live in this house, not have this ailment, not be in this predicament, then I would be happy forever. God says, think again. What you need, only God can provide. You need life. You need forgiveness. You need salvation. You need restoration. You need Jesus. And guess what? That's what he came to give. John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. For you to have life, you must be forgiven of sin, restored to a right relationship with the living God. You must forsake your sin for that to happen and give your life over to Jesus. If you have not, I pray you would make that decision today. That's point number one. Jesus shows here that he is more than enough by compassionately proclaiming and illustrating his gospel message to a crowd in need. Notice point number two. Jesus also shows that he's more than enough by miraculously providing the multitude with all they need. Jesus miraculously provides the multitude with all they need. Let's pick up in verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them, Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. In verse 12, we learn that Jesus kept teaching, kept healing until late in the day. The disciples finally come to him, tap him on the shoulder. I kind of picture it going down in that way. Told him, we got to get out of this desolate place to go and get some food. Find some lodging for the night. Look at what Jesus tells them. Give them something to eat. Feed them. The disciples respond pretty quickly and definitively. We have no such provisions. We, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. We would have to go buy food to feed this crowd. And who of the disciples do you think had a thick enough wallet to feed that many mouths? There were thousands in need. 
Jesus, surely. You're joking, right? We, we can't feed all these people. Jesus says, have them sit down. Jesus is going to show them who can. At times when I have certain tasks that I can't get to, I will call on the help of someone else. And in those times, I am truly trying to delegate certain responsibilities to make up for my inability. That's not what's taking place here. Jesus is not passing off responsibility. Jesus knew they couldn't meet this need. He did not ask them because he thought if they, if they bared down, if they put their money together, they could carry out this task. He wanted them to understand that they couldn't. You see where I'm going with this? He wanted them to understand their complete inability to meet and satisfy needs of these individuals. He wanted his disciples to understand that they do not have what these people need. Only he does. He wanted them to know that they can't, can't give people what they need. Only he can. And guess what? He can do it in spades. Believers, he wants to bring us all to this point. To the point of seeing our inadequacy and our need so that his strength may shine through our weakness. He, he wants us in these moments of weakness and need to look to him and trust in him and see that he is more than enough. He has all that you need and more. In this story, the crowd is in need. Their needs are too great for Christ's disciples. They realize that. They give that situation over to Jesus, and Jesus provides all that's needed. Great application there. Warren Wiersbe said this in his commentary on, on Luke 9. Look at this. In the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it is good to remember that God has provided the solution in Christ. Wow, we all need that, don't we? He absolutely has. He wants you to see that. He wants you to understand that Christ is all you need. We said in an earlier sermon from these series when circumstances get tough and when trials come the answer is not man up the answer is not muster up the strength within you to do it the answer is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps the answer is not when the going gets tough what no it's not that's not the answer that's not where God wants you to go he wants you to see that the answer is Jesus. When it's hunger, the answer is Jesus. When it's a broken relationship, the answer is Jesus. When it's bankruptcy, the answer is Jesus. When it's cancer, the answer is Jesus. When it's the loss of a loved one, the answer is Jesus. The answer to the greatest problems in this life come from outside of ourselves because these, two, these trials, they're too much for us. They will crush us. But they're not too big for him. They will not crush him. The answer is in him because he is greater than any trial we face. While we are so limited in our abilities, Christ has unlimited capabilities. 
And he wants to showcase that in and through you and me. When times get tough, when we're at the end of our rope, we're not to bear down and try harder. We're to hit our knees and cling to Christ. We're to look to Him and trust in Him for all we need. The disciples learn this here from Jesus. Jesus shows here He is more than enough. Look at what we're told in verse 17. Everyone ate, everyone was filled, everyone was satisfied, and there was food left over. More than enough. I love that. Christ shows through this miracle that He is able to supply all their needs. He is more than enough. And get this, He's not only filled their their stomachs with food, healed them of diseases, but He has given to them all they need spiritually by proclaiming His gospel message to them. But we learn in John's account that they're still not getting it. Flip over to John chapter 6, just one book over. I don't normally leave the text I'm in, but but John provides some additional information that I want to share with you as we close today. John chapter 6. We learn from John that the crowd knew that Jesus was someone significant, which is why they're following him all around, but they did not know how significant. In John's account, we're told that the crowd, they continue to follow Jesus after this miracle, but they were simply wanting earthly blessings. They wanted to crown him king so he would make life good for them politically. They wanted a miracle-working Messiah who would keep them fed, fat, and happy. Jesus calls them on this, by the way. In John 6, 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, the only reason you've sought me out, the only reason you've come all this way, is because I'm able to fill your stomachs. He's making the point here once again. While you're seeking me, while you want to be where I am, you're wanting me for the wrong reasons. You have the wrong motives for following me. Boy, we see that a lot. We see certain ministers giving the wrong message about Jesus and people following for the wrong reasons. They were viewing him as an earthly king who would make life easier for them, as a spiritual Santa Claus who would get them what they want. Jesus lets him know he has come to provide something they are not seeking, but it's the one thing they need above everything. Look at verse 35 of John 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So think about this. You have... All these people in John 6 who are coming to Jesus because he's the man who has miraculously filled their stomachs with with bread. They like Jesus because he gets them bread. They, they, They like him because he fills their stomachs and he serves their kingdom. But notice, Jesus responds with this. I am the bread. I'm the one who satisfies, like we sang in the song before the sermon. If you eat this bread, while you'll be full for a while, after a short period of time, you'll be hungry again. 
In other words, if it's physical bread that you seek, you're not going to find lasting satisfaction. That's only found in me. Jesus says, I am the bread. If you come after me, if you follow me, and only me, I can satisfy that hunger that you have. This is the same promise, by the way, that he makes to the woman at the well two chapters back in John chapter 4. And like the woman at the well, many in this crowd in John 6 had these desires for satisfaction that lasts for happiness long term. They had this deep hunger, this extreme thirst for it. And again, Jesus is trying to show them that the hunger that they have cannot be pacified by physical bread and fish. He says, you guys just had a great meal. All you can eat, bread and fish. You got 12 baskets left over, and now you're back to me once again for more bread. Physical bread cannot satisfy. Nothing in this world can. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, follow me, trust in me, believe in me, feast on me, you will never hunger or thirst and we will never come to see Jesus as being more than enough if we don't come to him in this way and see him in this way as our all satisfying Lord Jesus says I have to be your end you can't come after me because you want something else from me. You have to want me from me. You have to realize I'm all you need. You have to realize that, that I'm the only one who can fill you and quench this spiritual thirst that you have forever. Look at verse 51 of John 6. I love this. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Does that sound familiar? Remember another story when bread came down from heaven? If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So notice the imagery here. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is using this to point his Jewish audience back to the time when God provided manna for them in Egypt. Do you remember that? God's people have been delivered from Egyptian bondage and, and God sent bread down to them to feed them. And Jesus is using this imagery here saying, that's what I am. I am your provision. I am the manna come down from heaven. I am the bread of life that God has sent you. They wanted physical bread for food for their stomachs Jesus says God has given you so much more in that he has given you me folks God sent his son for us for this reason he came he left willingly left the greatest of circumstances to take on the very worst of circumstances for our sake so that we, through Him, could be reconciled to God and experience the very best of circumstances, eternal life with Him. That's the gospel right there. That's what Christ has provided for us. It's more than enough. It's all we need. How do we come to experience this? Maybe you're here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, that sounds good. I want, I want to be satisfied in this life. I have this hunger 
that I, I, I want satisfied. I have this thirst. I want quenched. I want this provision. I want to be reconciled to God through Christ. Hopefully you want that if you don't have it already. Where do you go? What do you do to get it? Look back at verse 35, our key verse for the week. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying you, you have to realize that nothing in all the world can satisfy you but me. He's saying you have to realize your desperate need of me. You have to run to me and cling to me and trust in me and in me alone to satisfy the hunger and quench the thirst you have. Notice after Jesus makes these claims, we see two responses in John 6. We see the response of the crowd and the response of the disciples. In verse 66, we're told many in the crowd turned away from Christ. They say this is too radical for us. This is not what we came here to get. And they bolt. They're out. And notice, Jesus lets them go. That's an odd evangelistic approach, isn't it? You mean he didn't water down the message so they'll stay? No. He tells them how it is, and he lets those who go, go. And then he does something else. He turns to his disciples and he says, what about you guys? Are you gone too? Very interesting approach. I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, where, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe in you. We have come to know you, that you are the Holy One of God. We're not going anywhere. What a response. Peter had some bad ones early on, but this is one of the good ones. Peter chose the way of Christ. Folks, this is the choice many of you are faced with this morning. I know there are some of you here this morning who have yet to make this decision for Christ. Some of you here this morning who have yet to surrender to Christ as Lord. Some of you in here still trying to sit on the throne of your own life. Listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat things and tell you you can remain on the throne and have Christ too because you can't. You can't. The claims of Christ are radical. He doesn't allow you to come to Him on His own terms. Just look at John 6. He tells how it's going to be. And then we must respond. He makes it clear in His gospel accounts. He wants all of you or nothing at all. He calls for you to come and die. To crucify yourself. To lay your life down. That's what he calls for. That's what he wants. He wants to be your life. He wants to be your Lord and nothing less than that. That's extreme, but those are his terms. And believe me when I say it's worth it. I pray if you're here this morning and you have yet to respond to Christ in this way that you would today that you would forsake your sin and lay it down so that it can be taken up with Him. Maybe He's working in your heart and life right now. Maybe you're here and you have ears to hear. There will be many who reject this message. It happens all the time, but I urge you not to. If you have ears to hear and a heart to understand, 
I encourage you right here, right now to respond like Peter. Just say to him, Lord, up to this point in my life, I've been doing things on my own terms. Lord, my way is the wrong way. I surrender all to you today. I pray you would make that decision today and be saved. Let's pray together.